most entrepreneurs um, that we work, at least, are not in it to just have a return. The, the, it's not about making money. I mean, that's nice, but they're doing it because they want to make a dent in the world and they passionately believe about the thing they're doing. I mean, you don't make it if you're not passionate, right? Um, it's just too hard. So what they, what, one of the things that keeps them up at night, especially when they start to get a little bigger, is that they're going to lose what is distinctive and special in the early days. And it's, it's the, the, the organization's going to get away from them. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley in partnership with Leumitech, sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Opus Labs, Synergy Global, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, Birthright Excel, Serona Partners, and in media partnership with CTEC. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. We're talking about coaching. Meet Matt Oren, the master coach who supports leaders in fast-growing companies scaling into their potential with long-term sustainable success. As co-founder of Evolution, Matt's deep intuition, organizational experience, and behavioral science expertise allow him to design powerful and customized development solutions for clients. He has worked with organizations like Slack, Snapchat, Change.org, Coursera, Tile, Eero, Collective Health, Dropbox, and Radiology Partners. Thank you so much for being here. Before I even ask you about yourself and your coaching practice and your career, what does Evolution mean to you? Why did you decide to name this organization, Evolution? Well, actually comes from my, my co-founder, uh, who coined this term evolutionary business, which is that business can be a force for good in the world uh, and something that could actually impact the planet and evolve the planet. And we were having conversations and he was talking about that. And I am a big believer and love the concept of evolution as a uh as a model for how growth occurs right one thing happens and then it's layered on the next and it's layered on the next and a lot of times mistakes and adaptations and difficult moments lead to the next uh level of development and i just think like that's such a great uh metaphor for how humans grow and and the and the planet itself grows so so you're you're Talking about business and and impact and the world and in the same sentence, yeah. um, you know it's, it's it's a rather new idea where you know we have we're putting both of these two things at the same level um, at the forefront. Is this something that that you always knew that you were, that you wanted to deal with, or was this always sort of like a thesis that you had about the business world, or is this something that evolved over time? I was actually uh, quite anti-business in my youth, and I read a book called The World is Flat, and that led to this odyssey, and I was in grad school in conversations with some of my professors uh, at Pepperdine, and I remember you know, hearing these stories about the impact that business has had, and there was the one vignette about how during the tech, before the tech bubble, all the fiber had been laid all over the planet. The bubble blew up and everybody said that was the worst thing in the world. But there was all this infrastructure that was built that led to globalization, right? And that's a perfect example of evolution. Um, and, you know, I, I read that the, the Dark Side of Business, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and, you know, all these other books. And I started to realize that businesses where people spend the most 
of their time. And businesses are eclipsing governments as kind of the most trusted institutions in the world. And just, you know, as a leverage point, there's an opportunity for capitalism itself to evolve, to transcend and include, right? So it's still the same framework, but it acknowledges that it's in relationships with all these other stakeholders that it doesn't, most businesses don't think about. Most businesses think about, you know, their shareholders or their board or whatever, but you know, you have community of the planet itself. You have underrepresented people, you have the employees, there's all these other people, just like a community (laughs) that a business is in relationship with. And you don't compromise your, uh, the normal business metrics like revenues by optimizing for those things too. I just think there's actually a responsibility to do those things and they all work together in some ways. This is probably another podcast, by the way, but I'm happy to talk about it as well. Well, tell me a little bit about evolution and yeah. coaching for extraordinary entrepreneurs, leaders and teams and organizations that specifically care deeply about changing the world. Where, where, so you're, you know, working with these entrepreneurs and sort of helping them and acting as a catalyst. What, what does that yeah. look like? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, what I just kind of frame is this macro level philosophical view, but we are fundamentally a coaching firm, executive coaching firm for venture-backed companies. Arguably, I come sometimes chuckle when I say this, the, the, the kind of premier coaching firm in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, we've got 35 full-time partners, 150 clients. Uh, our biggest clients are Twitter, Slack, Glassdoor, all the way down to early seed stage companies. Uh, we specialize primarily like our sweet spot and our early product market fit was venture-backed kind of B and C stage growth stage companies. We are, uh, I, we joke, the house that Slack built. They're still our largest client. We started working them when they were about 100 people. So a lot of my stories are about the evolution of Slack and seeing how well they did it. Um, and, you know, we probably coached 400 people there. Wow. And, you know, over the years. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we love our work. We love our clients. You know, we're, we're very humble in that sense that, you know, we support leaders that are at these growth inflection points, you know, and we tend to use the venture rounds just as an arbitrary marker because you can kind of peg company size, uh, reach, you know, all that with the venture round. And so there's dynamics that really occur at each round. And at, at each round, there are like leadership and cultural challenges gauntlets, if you will, that these leaders are going through. And it's intense and it's fast. And so having a coach that's there to hold the mirror up around the decisions that you have uh, and give a, you know, some guidance really, you know, something that a lot of people find value in. We certainly enjoy uh, the ride as well and are learning with our clients. So amazing. And so if we're looking specifically, you know, at the organizations that you worked with uh, Slack, perhaps, you know, what, what are some, what are some things that you've learned or that you've, you know, seen with the leadership that they've done that, that can be taken and can be learned by other early stage entrepreneurs along their way, things that are, you know, relevant to, to this idea of good leadership and business that is at the end going to make a positive impact. Right. Well, if you take the lens, um, that says at a certain point, a leader has to care as much about the org as they do about the product. Like they need to have the same level of craftsmanship for the business itself. And that is a wholesale operating system change, right? Because you're just spending time in the product and all of a sudden there's this distance 
And even at, you know, 20 and 30 people, there's people doing things that you can't see. Some people are being hired that you didn't hire yourself. Uh, and, you know, at that point, you really have to create and think about, you know, that Jeff Bezos word mechanisms. So the best of what you created reinforces itself without you in the room, right? And if you think about cynically, culture is a, a control mechanism. It's a way to create coherence in what you're kind of creating. And, you know, what I, the, I give a lot of credit to the, the, the Slack folks because they had really been through the ringer at Flickr. Um, right. You can hear the story and they had run, you know, they, they built Flickr, they sold it to Yahoo. They went through that experience earlier in their career. And then they said, we're going to go back and start building games. And then everybody knows kind of the evolution that happened from, from glitch to Slack. And Stuart and the team at the time were like, they knew, they knew the, the trappings of what happens. And so, you know, Stuart is a really intentional guy and he said, we're going to do this different. And, you know, right from the kind of that, those inflection points, those growth inflection points, you know, it, it, all credit to them, right? They were the ones doing the work, but we were brought in to really support them, right? Which is in itself a metaphor. And they built a really incredible, thoughtful culture at all aspects of the organization from marketing to their communications. If you remember the release notes in the app store were written in a very distinctive slacky way. Uh, the, the metaphors and the maxims and the principles of like why they didn't provide food for dinner or why they didn't have like foosball tables or, uh, how they gave feedback or how they articulated their values that were different or how they thought about product and what that meant about marketing. All of those things, there was like a real design coherence. And I'll tell you, we were working at the same time with, um, Snap. Right. So one of the reasons why we blew up, I mean, Silicon Valley is a lot like Hollywood in a bad way. You know, we were same, same guys. And all of a sudden, 2015, we're working with the two biggest unicorns, right? Slack and Snapchat. And they couldn't have been more different, right? Snap had just raised a billion dollars and they just like, it was like Frankenstein. They bolted this thing together. There was all these weird people doing stuff. And we saw really early on, I mean, now they're doing kind of okay. Um, that they were going to, you know, they were going to have some kind of troubles because Stuart, they were like laser focused at creating this thing that was all orbiting around this product and the distinctiveness of what they were. And, you know, it's like they, they couldn't be really bothered at Snap. And I don't mean to disparage the company or the product. It's cool. I just mean in terms of org building, uh, you know, they're very distinctive approach at Slack. And, you know, we we were there to support it and help them build out their early feedback training, the early manager training, a bunch of their culture work, coach folks did offsites, you know, a lot of, you know, HR consultation even. I mean, we had our whole platform was deployed there early on. So, well, so this idea of scale without losing your soul, yeah. something that particularly caught my eye, you know, as you're working with companies like Slack and Snap, how, how do you think of yourself as, you know, as evolution? And working with the leadership and, and scaling the organization without losing the organization's soul. Yeah. So most entrepreneurs, um, that we work at least are not in it to just have a return that it's not about making money. I mean, that's nice, but they're doing it because they want to make a dent in the world and they passionately believe about the thing they're doing. I mean, you don't make it if you're not passionate, right? Um, it's just too hard. So. 
what they, what, one of the things that keeps them up at night, especially when they start to get a little bigger, is that they're going to lose what is distinctive and special in the early days. And it's, it's the, the, the organization's going to get away from them. And so what we believe is that, I mean, sorry if this is, I'm a coach, so what do you expect? Every organization has, in essence, a soul, right? When it's born, when it's founded, we call it its essence. Um, you can read about it. There's a book called Identity is Destiny that talks a little bit about it, a guy named Larry Ackerman. And so we believe that through storytelling, you can, you know, undergo a process pretty early in the company to uncover what the positive core is. And every company, just like every tribe of humans is slightly different. There's slightly different design principles, slightly different, you know, product ideas, slightly different values overlap, but the distinctiveness matters. And once you define that, right, you, you, you really get clear on that essence or that core you can build mechanisms in terms of processes, everything from like the, the classics, like onboarding and feedback processes to, you know, accounting systems and management processes and uh, what metrics you track. All those things are mechanisms that reinforce this essence as it gets bigger. And then you see companies that have done it really well that have gotten to scale and still have who they are intact. And those companies tend to be alumni farms, the Googles, Baxter, I worked at a place called DeVita. There's a famous Stanford case uh, written about it. It's still one of the best ones, I think, taught in the business school. That's like, these places are known for their talent, not just for their business success. And there's a distinctiveness in what they've created. And there's 50,000 people plus working in these companies. So they've retained who they are as they've scaled. And, you know, there's a way to do it. Just like a product roadmap, you can build a culture roadmap. Most of these places in one way or another have, right? You think of the Netflix culture guide where you, you, you get a point of view of who you are and then you build a roadmap of 18 months of stuff that you want to create that reinforces that. And even at the early stages, a founding team can have two slides that describe what is distinctive about who they are. And, and just to kind of end it, we, we think the organizational essence, if you're going to discover it, it's like externally it's felt as your brand and internally, it's felt as your culture, but it's the same, right? Your brand mm -hmm. and your culture, it's the same essence. And if you're going to be in integrity and coherent, they, they, they're basically the same and they feel the same. So, so if we're talking about this, this idea of culture roadmap, you know, I'm, I'm looking at seed stage companies and they're, they're laying out their four-year plan of where <laughs> they aim to be in terms of ARR and, and, and partnerships and, and sales funnels and hires, et cetera. What does a culture roadmap look like? Is that the same process? Is it the same figures that are supposed to be dealing with it? How, how do you go about strategizing through a culture roadmap? Yeah, usually the uh, founding team, you know, owned by the co-founders, but it could also be the founding team, sit down and the first like stage of that process is uncovering like what makes us unique? What do we stand for? Why would somebody work here versus there? What is our essence? Uh, what do we want to memorialize? What's symbolic? What are linguistic paradigms and metaphors that really stand out for who we are? And once that's defined, and that takes some time, by the way, and that in itself is almost enough, right? You discover your essence. It looks like values, principles, maxims, again, metaphors, archetypes. After that, then, you know, this is one of the reasons why people hire us, by the way, you start to think about like, what processes do we need to build that we would normally build in org building 
But if we were going to be a little bit more intentional and thoughtful, we could create them as design principles, like internal communications, both systems and content, uh, all of the early HR processes, how and when feedback is given, reward systems, uh, how we think about the product itself, um, how we make decisions and what's prioritized. All of these things, you can just, you just need to like write them down. And if you think about some of the things I rattled off, you know, it takes some design, right? If you're going to, even the early stages of doing performance management where everybody gets feedback on a regular basis, you know, you have to sit down with a team of people and think about how do we want to do this? Do we want to do it twice a year? Do we not want to do it? Just do it randomly? Do it once a year? What's the format look like? How is it distinctive here versus there? For example, uh, Coursera, we helped them uh, at one point as they were scaling, design their performance management system as a part of their culture roadmap. And they had a piece in there, of course, about learning, right? Because you're Coursera, like yeah. why wouldn't you know that be a part of that and actually using the product itself? And so there's distinctiveness in their performance management that was very Coursera-like. And so um, office design, the way that lo looks to the degree people go to offices, that those are things, internal brand meetings and how people meet, uh, those kind of things. And you just tick them off, do maybe once every couple of months, you, you, you figure out another one to design. It's not that complicated. It's not complicated, but you do have to have time and you have to be intentional. As long as you're willing to give the time to be intentional, you can do it. It's, it's a lot like, uh, like it does not need to be perfect. And in fact, it's, it's not going to be. It's not the same as being clinical or precise. It's not at all. So, Is the main pitfall lack of intentionality then? Or are there different pitfalls that, that you see founders doing that are, that are actively going against yeah. this, this notion? Yeah. I mean, there's the classic stuff like product market fit and early, uh, one of the biggest thing that blows up companies in the early stage is the co-founder misalignment and, uh, hiring the wrong executive, taking money from the wrong people who aren't aligned from you. Um, those are like absolutely existential threats to companies, right? <laughs> um, you won't, and I mean, this is a whole nother conversation. Developmentally at the seed stage, if you don't create your culture roadmap, you're not going to fail, right? But you will later, right? And you, you certainly won't become, you know, iconic and special because it really informs you around like, you know, we've, we've literally written recruiting filters for companies where the recruiters are filtering these questions through these principles for people. Uh, you know, Slack had an example. I don't know if they still do this or not, where... They would literally hire engineers who were kind over engineers that were intelligent. I mean, they had to know how to do their job, but they literally hired people who were kind. You talk about a replicating factors in organization scales to get kind, well-adjusted software engineers. It's like, that's an example of having real discipline and thoughtfulness and using the recruiter uh, filters through that. So, you know, if you don't do it at seed stage, are you going to blow up? Probably not. Are you going to start having trouble when you go into rapid scale mode when you raise your A and B? Maybe, right? Maybe. So, so this is going going back to a lot of the biases that we have, uh, you know, as people that we we defer things to later on and we tend to think short term and not long term. And what you're talking about here is that we we need to get trained and being intentional from the early on stages where we're not just fighting for survival between the seed and series A, but if we don't set our, our foundations right at the seed already, then then it could very well be that we're going to reach some blocks that, that are just not going to allow us to to go yeah, higher. Yeah, I mean, we always say like, 
just because, you know, you can make it out of C that that isn't a good reason not to do it. Like take one day, right? With your founding team once a year, pre-seed or seed and just have the conversation and memorialize it and see how it goes. Like use it when you hire the next few people or, uh, you know, when you start thinking about product decisions, like bring in the, that filter e example, like er the earlier you can do it, the better. Um, and you can see the seeds of intentionality in early stage founders. And I just can't emphasize enough. There is a moment in most great founders, put aside Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, the highly idiosyncratic ones, but most great founders where they're like, wow, I care about the people and the org and the business as much as I care about the product. And it's like this gong goes off and it's a weird, I mean, and we're usually there for that moment, right? It's like them and the coach and they're like, they have this moment of awakening and they're like, I, I'm behind evolution. Come on. We're way behind. Let's go. Right. And then they, then they like drag us in. We're like, you should have brought us in at the A or C, but it's all right. We can help. So. Matt, thank you so much for the time and for the insights, um, taking a lot of the intentionality with me as I go on my own journey. And uh, it, it was really a pleasure and uh, fascinating stories. And thank you very, very much for everything. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.